Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in for the Hootsard Huddle podcast presented by HootsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fam. You are now inside the huddle. Bringing in Michael Hotard back here for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. I will be joined by Matt Panero of St. Paul's Wrestling. Uh, it's a school on the North Shore in Louisiana. They have captured the coveted state championship for Louisiana high school wrestling. And I'm excited to have him on because the last time he and I spoke, St. Paul's was five points short last season so for them to come back win that title is huge early in his career my boy Matt already has a coach of the year award a second place finish and a state championship so I'm excited to have him on but before we get to Matt here's a message from our sponsor hi I'm Michael Hotard creator of the Hotard Huddle and host of this awesome pod. In today's world of disinformation and misinformation, what if I told you there's an easy way to be informed about where you spend your money? Cluey Consumer. Download Cluey Consumer in the App Store or visit their website, clueyconsumer.com. Cluey can help you be an informed and conscious consumer. The app allows you to search for brands that you buy from every single day. The best part, it's totally free. The creators of Cluey Consumer hope to one day cover every purchase and every social, environmental, and political impact of those purchases. For example, my family frequently shops at Publix. With Cluey, I know that 73% of Publix political ad campaign spending goes to Republicans. The app doesn't have bias. It doesn't tell you how or where to purchase goods from. It just allows you to see exactly where that dollar could be going. Download Cluey Consumer today for free and become a more informed consumer. That's Cluey Consumer, C-L-U-E-Y Consumer. And again, totally free in the App Store. For more information, visit ClueyConsumer.com. Once again, back joining me. For the second time on this podcast, my buddy Matt Panero, and uh, I can officially say this, the reigning, the defending, the undisputed champion, first and foremost, Matt, congrats on your recent uh, state title win. I know it's been a long time coming. I know it's something you've talked um, plenty about um, and something I'm sure you've dreamed of since you knew that coaching was going to be an avenue that you took. It is well-deserved. I could not be happier for you. So let me just start off by saying congrats, man. Thanks, man. You know, it was really cool. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be a part of a uh, state championship team at Rommel back in 2011 as part of the coaching staff. And you know, it was a great feeling then. And it was one of those things where as soon as you do it, you're kind of like, all right, now we got to do it again. And, uh, and we didn't get to do it again when I was there. And that, you know, that was kind of unfortunate. And then, you know, you get to a new place and, uh, you know, you're just, you're just ready for it, you know, and it, it worked out. And, um, you know, it was 
2011 was the last time I was part of a state championship team and, you know, 2021. So it's been, it's been 10 years, uh, too long. Um, but it was, it was a uh, pretty rewarding feeling to finally have it all come together. Absolutely, man. Now, um, you know, last time you were on the podcast, uh, like I alluded to, we, we talked about this because the last time you guys play last year, you guys played second, correct? Yeah. And we played second by five and a half points, which is like, you know, for those of you who don't really know wrestling that much, that's basically like one match, you know, one match in an entire tournament, you know, there's 2000 matches in a tournament. So one match is so minuscule. Uh, so it's a pretty tough way to lose. But you bounce back and, you know, like I said, we, we talked about this last time you were on the podcast of what the, what the sites were moving forward. And that was capturing the state title. And you did that. So, um, and, you know, again, it's just a testament. And I, I talked about this a lot on the last episode and just kind of rehash um, a little bit about, I, I guess, our backstory, you know, and um, we talked about what happened with your wrestling career with uh, with celiacs and uh, uh, that diagnosis with you and pretty much because of when it was happening, there was uncertainty with what was going on with your body. So you pretty much had to give up wrestling as as an athlete so that was sort of stripped from you but then you found you found a calling with coaching you know you start out working with younger kids with uh scorpions um and you know you you were working hard at 15 16 17 years old um as a coach and sort of laying this foundation um leading to eventually you getting a head coaching gig and then now winning a state championship um, so again, it just speaks volumes, I think, to the dedication, the hard work, you know, um, there was a, there was a small group of friends you and I had and company we kept in high school, um, without name dropping, we know who the, the five of us are. Um, but, uh, dude, the first thing I did after texting you, uh, congratulations was reach out to them. And I was like, dude, please tell me I saw this. And of course, you know, all of us are super pumped because we saw all this sort of unfold. So, um, you know, I know you talked about that championship in 11 as an assistant coach, which of course is special, but with this being the first as the head coach, meaning this is your team, you know, you are the head honcho here. So, yeah, I mean, that was cool. And then on top of it, you know, this was the first time, uh, well, and honestly then too. So, the, you know, in 2011, that was the first time Rumble had ever won. Uh, division one state championship and uh, now in 2021 this is the first time st paul's has ever won a division one state championship so that made it a little extra special you know that uh that it we were the first guys to break through and do it you know it's historically been the same couple teams up at the top so to be able to break through that was pretty cool plus it was the hundredth year of uh the lhsa so we got a cool little insignia on our trophy that nobody else gets so that's pretty cool dude hell yeah man that's awesome so um, you know, let's, let's dive right into, I guess this season, what it was, um, and how much it meant because you obviously, um, you know, posted about some of the trials and tribu tribulations that you as a coach and your athletes had to go through, um, in the middle of, I mean, a pandemic. So you're talking regulations, you're talking a complete changing of how, athletics operates from a very fundamental level. So 
Um, let's let's sort of just open up the floodgates there. And, you know, what was this season like having to go through that? Well, I mean, just just absolutely crazy uh, season in, in every way, you know, um, and, and before that, even a crazy offseason where, um, you know, we like we talked about, we lose by five and a half points and you're, you want to get right back to work because you're like frustrated and, you know, you fell so close and you want to get right back to it. And then, you know, basically two weeks after the state tournament, the whole world ended and everything shut down. And it was like, OK, well, now we can't get back on the mats. We can't do any kind of training at all. Um, you know, I, I, it was towards the end of June that we started being able to even weightlift. You know, and that was, of course, non-contact stuff. You know, we didn't know a lot about it at that time. And then, um, you know, we didn't get on the mats till October. Um, so, you know, that was pretty crazy because usually, you know, the summer is a period of time where you can learn a lot and, and, and uh, improve your techniques and things like that. So that was odd. And then, you know, once we started the season, it was, it was very um, interesting because you have to have pods, right? So uh, every uh, – every individual is put into a pod where there's only, you know, for uh, the way that we decided to do it was there were three guys in their pod. So there's four guys total. And uh, ideally you would practice with the same guy every day, but in the event that he couldn't make it, um, you know, then you had those other two guys that you could work with. If the other three didn't make it, well, that'd be a little bit more of an issue, but um, so that was interesting. You know, usually there's a lot more, uh, connectivity between our junior high guys and our JV guys and our varsity where we're kind of mixing things up, letting older guys work with younger guys and things like that. And really this year we weren't able to do that at all. Um, you know, it was basically older guys, you stay over there and stay the heck away from everybody on the younger guy side and younger guys, you stay over there and stay the heck away from all the older guys. Um, you know, I'm a big time believer in uh, games uh, during practice, you know, a lot of old school coaches don't like it. Uh, we always laugh because I've got some older coaches on staff that that always roll their eyes whenever we roll the balls out to play games and things like that. But, um, you know, this year we didn't get to play games. And that was just one of those things where we couldn't do anything that would bring an entire group together. Um, and when you're trying to build camaraderie amongst the team, that's pretty tough, you know, um, that you can't get everybody together and get everybody united doing one thing. So that was interesting, um, you know, and then then that's not even getting into the quarantines, you know. So um, with with school, uh, if a kid, you know, tested positive or, or was known to be around somebody who, who had tested positive, you start getting quarantines where, you know, they're pulling uh, seating charts out of classes and pulling everybody that sits around them. Um, so, you know, keeping tabs on who is there every day. Uh, okay, why is he not here? Okay, where's he? Uh, okay, when does he get to come back? And then that's the other thing is some guys are quarantined for 10 days. Some guys are quarantined for 14. Some guys are quarantined for seven. And, and trying to keep tabs on all that's pretty tough. Um, so that was kind of a nightmare, honestly. Um, we were fortunate uh, in terms of, uh, you know, exposures and, and cases within our program that we uh, – we had some quarantines, obviously, but we really didn't have any major issues uh, with anybody in the program. Uh, so that was good. Um, probably the biggest issue we had was that I got COVID somehow. Uh, still trying to figure out how that happened. Um, you know, I, I 
basically from January 1st to uh, the time that I got it, I went to my house, to school and uh, to practice. And that was it. And somehow still figured out a way to get it. So I spent uh, basically four weeks before state or three and a half weeks before state. Uh, I spent, you know, uh, whatever it was, 10, 12 days coaching from a computer screen, actually right here in this very seat. So we had a, we had a computer set up at practice and, uh, and it was set up where I could see the whole mats, see all the gym. And, uh, I've got great assistant coaches that were there and, you know, I put together a practice plan and they, they, they basically ran it. And then uh, I would just watch and, you know, text them and say, okay, uh, so-and-so is not moving his feet enough. Go tell him he's not moving his feet or, uh, Hey, you know, take this guy and go partner him up with this guy over there. They're not, you know, whatever needed to be done. So that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, we had uh, a couple guys that had some family members that passed away, which was, you know, a pretty, pretty unfortunate situation. Um, I myself had my grandfather pass away, uh, which was a unfortunate situation. Somebody I was very close to. Um, so it was just a lot of things, a lot of things. And then, you know, you factor into the abnormality of just the wrestling itself. Uh, so, you know, for those who don't know, normally, normally you have, you know, what, what we would call dual meets or, or try meets where it's one team against one team only a uh, try meet would be three teams against each other. And then you have tournaments. And so usually uh, in a normal season, you'll have some dual meets on, on a weeknight and a tournament on the weekend. Well, there were not many tournaments. As a matter of fact, we only went to one tournament before state. Uh, and that was in January, a couple of weeks before state. That was the only time that we went to a tournament. Everything else we did was a dual meet, a try meet or a quad meet with four teams. Um, I caught a lot of flack for that when I was scheduling it um, from a lot of different people, um, people that, you know, uh, thought that that was maybe not the best idea. And, you know, are the guys going to be ready without going to a tournament and all these different types of things. And, uh, you know, it was tough. And sometimes as a coach, you're starting to question yourself too. Like, is this the right call? You know, um, my number one concern was, you know, keeping the guys healthy, getting them to the state tournament. That was it. You know, that was the number one goal is let's get everybody to the state tournament. And, you know, it, it worked out where the state tournament was the first time that our entire team was together all year, wow. which was pretty crazy. Um, you know, we almost had it a couple times and then guys got quarantined two days before or whatever else. Um, you know, we were fortunate where school let our guys go virtual um, you know, that's been an option for our students. And so they were able to go virtual and still come to practice for a couple of weeks leading up to state, which, uh, kept them from getting quarantined. Um, but, uh, you know, normally in a season, our guys would have about 40 matches going in the state tournament. And I think, you know, the highest guy on our team had like, uh, 15. Wow. So, you know, just a really, really odd year, odd situation. Um, but we knew how tough our room was. We knew that the guys in our room knew what it would take to get ready and that they could challenge each other. Um, we got creative in some of the ways that we, we challenged them. Uh, I won't get into too many specifics, but we got uh, pretty creative in a couple different ways. And, um, and it worked, you know, it, they responded and, and, 
you know, now I look like a genius, but you know, <laughs> in the, in the, in the time that you're going through it, you know, uh, even as a coach and thinking that you got the right idea, sometimes you start to, you know, question yourself a little bit, but, uh, thankfully it all worked out and, you know, the guys trusted in the process and they showed up ready to go. Well, you know, one of the things, um, that I sort of thought about during that, during pretty much everything that you just described, I think you hit on every follow-up question I had to that. So that makes my job easier. But, um, you know, one of the things that I thought about when you were describing that, when you were talking about, you know, people questioning some of those decisions on what to do, what not to do in terms of competing, you know, that's something that's, that's tough. And it's one of those things I'm sure weighed weighs on you heavily. Not that, not that you were on the hot seat for anything, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, man, well, if I make the wrong decision, you know, what's going to be the, I guess, fallout? What am I going to have to answer for this and that? So and you well, throw that me, in during a know, pandemic. That's rough. Right. Well, to me, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter what, you know, like I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, uh, secure in my job and things like that. I'm not concerned about that because, you know, I, I understand that you know, my primary job is as a teacher. And, uh, you know, as long as I'm doing my job in, in that uh, department, uh, I'm going to be okay. Um, but I worry about it in terms of, you know, just for the kids, for the guys on the team, like, hey, if I make the wrong call here, they're the guys that are going to suffer. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that's the pressure is not, you know, oh, will the parents get upset? Or will the, you know, the alumni get upset? Or, you know, um, other coaches get whatever that doesn't really bother me one way or another. Cause you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion about things like that. But, um, for me, it's just, you know, am I doing right by the guys? And as long as I'm doing right by the guys, as long as, um, you know, they're getting what they need, that's the most important thing. Well, I think it, um, this is something that, you know, your brother and I actually had a conversation about, um, right after, you know, of course, the, you know, we got win that you won state and everything. And it was just, we were just talking about coaching in general. Um, and it, this was something you and I, I believe, touched on on that last episode that you were here. Um, but, you know, there's a distinct difference between coaches that make an impact on on their student athletes inside the lines and there's a there's a difference between coaches who make an impact on their kids both inside and outside the lines and that's something we were just kind of talking about um with you because you always seem to have the best interest of your kids regardless of what the outcome is in terms of i guess the results in the matter um you always have your 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 kids and your student athletes best interest in the back of your mind and in your heart. And I think that's super important um, because it's one of those things that as a coach, that's ultimately what you're going to be remembered for. You can be remembered for the coach that won, that won the most games or won the most championships, or you can be remembered as the one who won championships, but also won over, you know, your student athletes and basically have now, uh, a lifelong mentorship, so to speak, with with a coach. I think that's super important, and I think that's one of the things that we touched on in the previous podcast about 
sort of what you sports are going towards with, I guess, younger coaches and stuff like that. And that's not to say that, you know, in the seventies, eighties, nineties, these things didn't happen. Um, but I think as, as the generations get younger, there's just more of a need for, um, I guess, camaraderie, friendship versus um, wins, which of course, ultimately at the end of the day, we all want to win. But um, no, I just think that speaks a testament to you. Now, one of the things that I, you know, is interesting to me about wrestling and keeping your student athletes safe during such an uncertain time. So wrestling, of course, from <laughs> it, it, I feel like it would be the germaphobes worst nightmare of a sport getting and rolling around on a mat. Um, but I guess yeah. like from a sanitation standpoint, like how I, I assume you guys obviously take care of the mats and everything like that. Not, not neglecting them, but how much did this impact, I guess the prep work that went into sanitizing mats and just kind of keeping your guys safe. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny because sometimes we have a lot of germaphobes that wrestle, believe it or not. <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, you know, guys have no problem rolling around. But uh, anyway, um, no, you know, I, I think we had to take definitely more precautions this year than we usually would. Um, mat cleaning much more frequently, you know, um, immediately before practice, immediately after practice, um, in the evenings, in the mornings, you know, a couple times a day. Uh, cleaning the mats, making sure that they're uh, good to go. I think the bigger issue for us was was really just the limited exposure um, time frame. So what I mean by that is, you know, when you go to a tournament, uh, you're exposed to so many different people, you know, in, in an afternoon or, or in a day. You know, you're going to have the guys that you compete against, obviously. You're going to have the referees. You're going to have the coaches. You're going to have the people that you were sitting next to in the stands. Uh, you're going to have your teammates, you know, your parents, if they're there, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of people that you're going to be exposed to. And what we tried to do this year was just limit that, right? So, you know, in a dual meet, you can control that a lot easier where, okay, you're going to be exposed to the guy that you worked out with and the guy that you sit next to uh, in the chair, you know, you're going to be exposed to the guy that you compete against. Um, you know, they, they took it uh, to where you didn't have to shake the coach's hands this year and you didn't have to shake the guy's hand after the match this year or before, which I thought was a little silly considering you're about to grab them in all the most awkward places. But, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, in that regard, um, it was a little bit easier to keep that exposure where you could basically track down, okay, there's probably about four people that you – you know, we're around um, at any particular time. Um, and then obviously wearing the masks when you got off the match. Um, you know, I think really that was about it for us. We didn't have to get too much crazier with it. Um, and, and, you know, it sounds crazy because of the nature of the sport. Um, you know, the, the, the closeness and the contact level. But in a lot of ways, it can actually be easier to be safe from the virus than in a sport like football or, or uh, basketball or, or any team sport, because you have, you know, uh, chunks of people coming together. Right. Right. So in a football play, if there's a tackle and there's seven, eight guys around the ball and they're all on top of each other and then they break it off. And then, you know, the next play it could be five different other guys that all get in on the mix. And so you don't really know where that exposure is coming from. Um, whereas with us, it, you know, you know, who you were next to, you know, 
who you wrestled against and really, okay, you know, that's it. So uh, that actually kind of made it a little bit easier. And, you know, in the couple instances we had where, uh, you know, guys uh, had to get quarantined, it was pretty easy to say, okay, uh, you know, you two work together. So you, you two are going to be out, you know, for the next couple days. And um, so it wasn't too bad. With, uh, so I guess from a, uh, from a spectator standpoint too, were there any limitations to the tournaments or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, the dual meets, uh, for us, uh, most of them were at home and those were at 25% capacity, which in our gym, uh, you know, was about a hundred people for us and, you know, somewhere around 50 people for them. Um, not that we usually get that much more than that anyway. Um, sometimes we would, you know, if it's a big team, but, um, so it was about 25% capacity for that. Uh, the, you know, the tournament that we went to the big tournament before state, uh, they didn't have spectators at all on the first day. And then the second day they limited it to 25% capacity, uh, the state tournament, they had limited to 25% capacity in the arena. Of course, they were able to up it to 50, like two days later, but you know, that's how it goes. Um, so yeah, I mean, limited spectators, but uh, thankfully we never really had an issue where family couldn't come and watch. And that's the most important thing, you know, it'd be nice to have students there, but as long as, you know, your family can be there, that's, that's kind of the thing that we were focusing on. Well, I, you know, I remember, um, again, going back to one of our, our mutual friends in our little high school group. Um, you know, one of the things that he had always told me in high school was like, you know, envisioning winning that state championship. And he was like, dude, the first thing I'm going to do is run into the crowd, hug my mom. Um, so obviously having parents there and stuff like that, like, you know, that's always going to be the the number one support system for most kids. Um, but with, you know, with St. Paul's, let's, let's dive into St. Paul's in general here. So, um, you know, moving forward, what, what's it looking like for you guys? I mean, you've, you're coming off of a season where, again, you were five points away. And now you're coming off of a season where you just won the state championship. So, so moving forward, you know, what, what's it looking like for your, your squad and you know, what, how many guys are you losing? Is there any shot of a rebuild? Like what's happening moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, we lose some guys and, and obviously they're big guys, you know, they're guys that have been around a long time. Um, most of them uh, I coach, you know, from the first time that I got there when they were little guys, uh, little kids. And so um, you can't replace that, you know, but um, we have a solid core coming back. You know, we have uh, five state placers coming back, um, two state champions coming back. Uh, so we have two state champions, a third place, a fourth place and a fifth place all coming back. Um, and then two other starters uh, who were very productive uh, so there's 14 weight classes and that's seven guys that are coming back. So um, that's a good start. Uh, you know, we've got some, some tough guys that uh, we feel like, you know, this year, had they been on any other team, they probably would have started. Um, just happened that, you know, the guys that we had were, you know, the best in the state. <laughs> so uh, we've got some guys that are going to step in and we feel really good about that. And uh, we feel really good that we'll be right back in the mix this year um, and going forward. And that's, you know, that's always our goal is to do the best that we can do uh, and be in the fight, you know, and we've been able to do that the last couple of years where we've been in the fight 
And, uh, you know, I don't say that we're going to win it, but I don't say that we're not going to be in it, you know, so we're going to be in the fight and uh, have an opportunity to do it again. Uh, obviously there's, there's work we're going to need to do and, and there's some slack that's going to need to be picked up, but, uh, but we feel good about it for sure. Now with, um, with, uh, some of those guys that are coming back, you know, is there any, um, not to, not to single out anyone in particular, cause obviously you ask any coach to do that. Now we're driving wedges between people here, but, um, is there any particular story from this year? Um, whether it's one of your guys leaving one of your guys coming back or, Anything that really stood out about this season, about one one person who maybe made great progress, whatever the case may be? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, dude, there were so many stories. You know, there's so <laughs> many stories. Uh, you know, um, if you're talking about guys, you know, who are coming back and just kind of ignoring the guys who are going to be gone, you know, just the guys coming back, you know. So one of our guys uh, was in the state finals this year uh, as a junior. Uh, and he's losing the match with 16 seconds left. And, uh, and he gets the takedown and back points to win the match with wow. one second left on the clock. So, you know, that's a great match against the senior. Um, you know, another guy who, who was a third seed and, uh, or second seed uh, and uh, came out and dominated the weight class, won in the finals by, I think, 15 – or not 15, but I think it was like 12 points in the finals. So – you know, you feel good about that. We had another guy who came into the tournament unseated and finished fourth, uh, which doesn't usually happen. And that, that particular guy was given up uh, about 15 pounds every tournament. Um, you know, he was wrestling up for the team. Wow. Um, and so when he gets in his real weight class next year, he's going to be super <laughs> deadly. Uh, you know, you figure he took fourth, giving up all that size. When he's in his actual weight, he's going to be gonna be tough to beat. He was tough to beat this year. Um you know, I, mean, I could really, I could go down the line, you know, just improvement all around. Um, but yeah, just so many storylines. Um, probably, probably just to give you one that I know you'll enjoy and the fans at home will enjoy because <laughs> easily this is, this is probably the most bonkers story I've ever seen as a coach, honestly. And, and I've asked several coaches that have way more experience than I do if they've ever seen anything like this. And every one of them has told me it's the first time. So one of our guys, uh, senior this year, was in the consolation semifinals match. So if he wins that match, he's going for third place. If he loses that match, he's going for fifth place. And uh, and he's wrestling this guy, and he and he and he cuts his head, and uh, you know it starts bleeding. And then wrestling, they have blood time, so you know they bring him to the table, and they have five minutes to get the blood to stop. Um, if you can get it to stop, they'll stop the clock. You can go back out. And then if it starts bleeding again, you come back and they got to start the clock again, whatever. And so, uh, he hits his head and he, and he cuts it and it, I mean, it's going and it's going. And so we start the match again and then it starts bleeding again. So we're back at the table, you know, and the doctor comes over cause they have a doctor there. Uh, and, and he's a guy who that, uh, who has wrestled before. So he kind of knows how things go, you know, and he comes up to us and he's like, I can staple it. And we're like, we're like, ah, no, you know, we'll get it going. You know, we'll get it covered, you know, whatever. And uh, so we wrap it up, goes back out, starts bleeding again. Doctors come back, you know, I could staple it. <laughs> we're going, no, you know, we're not going to do that. And yeah. So uh, there's about 30 seconds left in the match and it's tied. 
and starts bleeding again and he comes to the table and now we're getting down to where there's uh, there's under two minutes of blood time left because it's it's just running out yeah and uh you know we're kind of in crunch time because if the blood time runs out we lose the match and uh doc says i can staple it and you know we looked at the kid we said what do you want to do you know he's a senior he's 18 years old so what do you want to do he goes coach whatever we got to do and the doctor says, well, you 18? He says, yeah. He says, okay. He says, you can, you can be okay with this as long as you, you give us the consent. And he says, I, whatever you got to do. So right there at the table, <laughs> the doctor pulls out the staple gun, puts it right up, right over here, <laughs> and pops him. And our boy, look, he's holding on to uh, our assistant coach, Mark, a big, big dude. He's holding on to his hand as hard as he can, squeezing his hand. And he pops him once and he screams and, uh, you know, kind of sits there for a minute. And he's like, is that it? And he's like, nope, hang on. Pop, pop, three staples right to the face right here. Oh, my God. Okay, so three staples. Puts a band on it and wraps it up. <laughs> the boy goes right back out there. Oh, my God. And then the match goes to overtime. And then we ended up winning the match in overtime. Uh, which is just like the most insane, I you know, insane thing ever. Like you took three staples to the face <laughs> mid match, and then you went out there and still won the match. Like if I'm the guy on the other side, right? Like if I'm that other kid and I'm watching this dude take staples to the face, and I know that like I've got to wrestle him right after. Like what what's going through my mind? Yeah, like, wrestle that crazy dude, like. And then uh, it ended up when he got off the mat, they had to take the staples out and they stitched him up. Uh, yeah. And uh, and we were able to get him one of those big black hockey mask looking things. Yeah. To finish off the third place match. He ended up taking fourth place. He lost by one point and literally could not see the entire match because the mask was blocking his face. It kept slipping. And he, wow. I remember he came over the corner at one point. He's like, coach, I can't see anything. I said, dude, there's nothing we can do. You just got to try. You know, he literally was blind and still almost took third place. But uh, just a crazy, crazy epic story. Like, never seen a dude take three staples to the face in the middle of a match and then just keep going. It was right. not. I've never seen – I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. Well, that'll basically be his uh, his own version of the Jordan flu game. That's the story. Oh, yeah. no, dude, it was, it was of course, later, you know, I'm talking to the doctor and he's telling me, he goes, I'm not going to lie. He's like, I told somebody this morning, I really wanted to staple somebody. I've never done it before. <laughs> I said, well, I said, I guess I'm glad that you, you know, we could, we could uh, do, hook you up with that. Dude, but, uh, it was pretty crazy. I don't, again, I don't think I'll ever see anything like that, but I'm pretty unforgettable story. Dude. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. Um, and again, like, you know, that's, that's that kid's, jordan flu game story that he has to tell for the rest of his life and granted he placed but he went back out there beat somebody with staples in his face like come on dude uh, he could have he lost like he could have lost that match he could have lost the next match he could have not even competed again and i wouldn't have cared that dude took three staples to the face. yeah <laughs> like no no anesthetic no anything just pop 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 yeah let out a scream wrapped it up and went right back to it and I mean, you obviously know something about getting your face busted. So, 
I was hoping you were going to bring that up. Well, of course I'm going to bring that up. As soon as you said, I said that, I said, oh man, now I got to think about that one again. <laughs> Just for those of you at home, uh, it's not recommended that you have uh, boxing matches in a garage with rock'em sock'em blow up uh, gloves that cost like $18 at uh, Academy. Not the best strategy if you don't want a hole in your face. We had, we had what? 10 of us competing in that tournament. We got through two matches before we had to call the quits and send you to the hospital. <laughs> well, you know, the best part of it was, is it was a pretty good idea in theory because we were like, Hey, let's go to Academy and we'll get some boxing gloves and we'll, we'll, we'll box. Well, I'd never been boxing before or anything like that. I didn't realize how damn expensive boxing gloves were. <laughs> so we get to Academy and the boxing gloves are like, 40, 50 bucks. I'm like, I'm not spending this. Hey, look, there's some rock of soccer things for like 18 bucks. You blow them up and we'll, this will be a great idea. It was not a great idea. No, no. You took one right off the eye. It starts bleeding. We're like, uh, well, this is over. <laughs> the adrenaline was pumping pretty good. I didn't even realize I was, it, it was cut until y'all were telling me. And I looked down and saw blood all over. Yeah. Oh, center. dude, it was a it was a clean, clean slice too. I still, I distinctly remember that. Oh, which, yeah. I've still got the scar. Oh, dude, I got one on my eye as well because uh, I got mine busted in a uh, uh, basketball game a couple of years ago. Literally, there's like 15 seconds left, and uh, take some dude's head off mine. Yeah, I get headbutted, and like as soon as he hit me, I was like, "There's liquid up there, I can feel it." And then I put my hand down. I was like, "Yep." Ran to the bathroom, off the court. And what was funny is one of the referees, the officials, had no idea it had happened. I come out of the bathroom after the game was over. He goes, "What happened to you?" I was like, "You were standing right there, and I got my face busted. That's what happened to me." But uh, you know. Such is life, and we have these battle scars, so yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> but, um, so St. Paul, um, St. Paul's, I know. So, the athletic program really seems to be building, and not just in wrestling. Um, you know, I know the football program has had some real good seasons. I remember when you know we were in high school, it was one of the teams that Destraham played against, um, in the, in the playoffs. Um, but I saw basketball made it pretty far, I believe, and and lost pretty close to the end in the yeah, state they tournament. Lost, they lost in the semis to uh, St. Aug in overtime, uh, and and had actually they were at one point they were up by like twelve points, um, and then of course St. Aug upset Scotlandville, uh, I think yesterday by a couple points. So they were right there. Um, soccer was in the state finals on the same uh, day that we won the championship. We were hoping that we could get two championships in one night, which would be pretty special. I don't know that that's ever happened, honestly. Uh, usually the LHSA keeps those events separate. Um, but they fell just short in overtime. Um, I know powerlifting is supposed to be in contention. I think that's this coming week. Um, so they're going to be in the mix to potentially win. Um, you know, baseball uh, is always really good. They won two years ago. We're probably going to win last year, if not for COVID. Um Cross country has been a, a dominant program for a while that, you know, this past year wasn't the best year, but they've been very, very solid. Um, you know, lacrosse has been state champions. Uh, rugby has been in the mix. Um, yeah. I mean, just, you know, pretty much every program 
is extremely solid. I think uh, we have great coaches uh, that care about their athletes and uh, and are pretty uh, forward thinking and, and, and work really hard uh, to, to succeed. And then we have a school that supports us, you know, um, that gives us the things that we need uh, to be successful. And, uh, you know, I think that's important. I think, uh, you know, obviously academics is our first priority, but, you know, they also give a lot of support to athletics and, uh, you know, it shows. Well, I think it's super important to, you know, not just succeed in the classroom, but also have those extracurriculars. I mean, everything is important in creating well-developed and well-rounded young adults. And, you know, athletics are a huge part of that. I mean, most athletes will tell you, you know, they wouldn't be the people they are today without athletics, without the coaches, without some of the programs that they were a part of. Now, um, one of the things that, you know, I wanted to ask uh, specifically regarding this year, too, with COVID kind of jumping back to that, you know, one of the biggest tolls that it's taken on our society as a whole um, because of quarantining, because of isolation, you know, um, is you know, a lot of mental health issues, you know, you, you're, you're dealing with a lot. Now you're talking about, you know, adolescent kids here, um, who on top of their day to day, which, I mean, I remember being a teenager, (laughs) it's bad days. It's real bad days. Um, but you know, being a teenager is hard enough and then you're throwing in a pandemic. So, you know, now going back to what I was talking about with, with coaches and you sort of just mentioned it about a lot of coaches that you guys have on staff of, you know, trying to be leaders and role models for these kids. Um, you know, talk a little bit about that, you know, how is it navigating your guys through a pandemic, just from a, you know, a mental standpoint, keeping them focused, keeping them, you know, happy as you're just taking on a huge burden as a kid. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think I think far and away that's what won us this championship was our our mental um, fortitude and our training uh, that went towards that. Um, you know, we committed a lot of time to mental training, um, a lot of time, and beyond that, um, you know, as coaches, we we you know we have conversations with guys. Um, all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, it was a tough year and it affected a lot of guys. There was a a number of, without getting, uh, into specifics, there was a number of guys, you know, that, that, you know, we had to sit down after practice and have, you know, deep conversations and, and try to, uh, you know, try to get things right. Um, some guys just, you know, you just need somebody to listen to you. Um, sometimes you need advice. Um, I, I've been fortunate uh, in my life that I've been a, around a lot of great coaches and uh, and people that I still have relationships with that, you know, I've got a lot of advice from them over the years that, uh, that gives me a pretty unique perspective that I can help these guys out with. And then my own particular situation, you know, like you kind of alluded to earlier, where um, you know, having things taken away for me when I was in high school and not having opportunities and things like that. And, you know, understanding, um, 
putting things in perspective, right? You know, I think one of the most important things that we can do is help help our guys develop perspective. And, um, you know, sports is great. Like you said, I think, you know, obviously I, I believe that, otherwise I wouldn't be in it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, wrestling is just wrestling and, and we want to do the best that we can. But, you know, if I don't get to wrestle in this tournament, it's not the end of the world. Um, if I take second place in this tournament, it's not the end of the world. If I go 0-2, it's not the end of the world. I mean, there are more important things, you know. Um, you know, had we not won the state championship, we would have woken up the next day and life would have gone on. Just the same as, you know, when we did win. Um, you know, things go right back to it. So I think, you know, the biggest thing that you can do is, is uh, you know, just be open to your athletes and, and be honest. And that's what I tried to do from day one. I never tried to lie to them. I never lied to my athletes ever. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I have to tell them things that they don't want to hear, but I'll tell them just like I'm talking to you right now, you know, I'll say, Hey, look, you better put some time in cause you're not doing what you need to do, you know? And, uh, and so I think honesty is the most important thing. And so, you know, at the beginning of the whole, pandemic thing you know we had those conversations hey look you know we need to give everything we can because we don't know you know if we're going to have this opportunity or not yeah we have to pretend like we will um but we might not you know there was a couple times this year where i was pretty certain they were getting ready to pull things you know we were hearing rumblings about the governor closing things down things like that and, and we had those conversations with hey look you know we don't know what's going to happen next but you know we're going to keep training like like things are still on schedule, you know, when things did change, you know, we would have those honest conversations. Hey, you know, things have changed. Everybody's in the same boat. We're all dealing with these things. You can, you can sit around and pout about it, or you can, you know, make the best of the situation. And, uh, you know, you, you just, I think it comes down to just really knowing your athletes and them knowing you and uh, just, having that trust. And I, I feel like, you know, everybody on our team, you know, they know, uh, that, uh, one, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to be honest with them. And, uh, two that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to put them in the best position to succeed. Even if it doesn't seem like it at the time, even if, you know, what I'm telling them is not, you know, necessarily what they want to hear. It's because they, they know that, I'm doing what I think is best for them. Um, doesn't mean that I'm always right, but, you know, they have that trust and, and, and I trust that, you know, that they trust me. And, uh, you know, when you have those, those kind of relationships, I think it, 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 it does a lot for your program, you know, where I, where I can look at, you know, I can look at a guy and tell him, Hey, you're fine. You know, like I like I told our guy and, and I'll tell you this and, and you can ask him. You won't, obviously, because you don't know. Him, but, <laughs> but you could ask you could ask our guy, you know, he was losing by two points with 16 seconds left in the state finals. And the other guy starts bleeding and he comes over to me and I just looked him in the eye and I said, hey, man, all you got to do is get a takedown, get a takedown, put in overtime. I know you can do that. You've taken this guy down before. Go get the takedown, put in overtime. He said, yes, sir. And went out there and he got the takedown and actually put him on his back and got back points. So he didn't have to go to overtime. <laughs> Which was great for me uh, and for him, obviously. 
But, you know, it was one of those things where I believed it. I knew uh, that he could do it and he knew that he could do it and he believed it. And most of the time in sports, just that, that belief is all you need. Well, it's, it goes back to the cliche of speaking something into existence, you know, um, relating this to an NFL analogy. One of the things that I found interesting was um, I believe it was Mike Evans who had said that Tom Brady literally texted their group, like their team group every single day from the time they won the NFC championship until the day of the Super Bowl, we're going to win literally every day. He said it was like clockwork. We're going well, to win. Oh, look, I mean, and those are the kind of things, you know, you have to, you have to believe it to make it happen. And, you know, when we talk about mental training, there, there you know, there's things that we did. I'm not going to get in, you know, I don't want to give away any secrets secrets no absolutely not (laughs) but i mean there's things that we did you know to get these guys ready to go and and uh and again it just comes down to that trust you know there was another guy and and you know who was losing in the quarterfinals um you know and and he gave up the first takedown and he's down two nothing at the end of the first period and he looks at the corner and he you know you could see he's flustered he he doesn't know you know he looks at the corner he goes what do i do he said hey just relax you're fine and he goes, oh, okay. And then he pinned it. <laughs> and then and after the match, you know, we're talking to him and he says, yeah, I was kind of freaking out a little bit, but then you said it, that I was fine and I believed it. So I was okay. <laughs> well, like, you know, once you, I mean, any, any good relationship beyond coaching, beyond sports, if you have trust there, that's always going to be the number one thing in any relationship. So, but one of the things that resonated with me, I think when we first spoke um, on the last podcast was, yeah, you and I and I'm paraphrasing here, but you had talked about how each kid is different. So you have to know how to approach each kid. It's one of the things that you constantly work on yourself. You know, some kids you can be stern with some kids. You have to take a more methodical approach to how you address certain issues. Um, and I think, you know, once you kind of master those things, just like running any business, running any team, whatever it may be, when you know how to communicate with each individual that you're required to communicate with you can and you can do it effectively you know it puts you ahead of the game because at the end of the day they're always going to know like you said that you have their back so um i think that's you know obviously one of the most important things with coaching and this is where you going back to what i said earlier that's very different about i feel like coaching today versus coaching 30 40 50 years ago where well we know how a lot of for lack of a better term, old heads are with coaching where it's like yell, 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 or just one particular approach. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's, I think that that philosophy has changed. I think we understand a lot more about, you know, the psychology Mm -hmm. of, of people in general better. Um, but also, you know, the psychological aspects of sport better. Um, I think, um, that people have changed, you know, where, where, you know, most kids don't respond well to the, the, the getting yelled at thing. Anymore. Yeah. There are some that do, you know, not to say that there aren't some that do, but, but, um, you know, and, and especially I think the, um, the mindset of being locked into doing things one particular way, uh, I think that's kind of going out the window. Um, you know, um, that's something I try to never do. 
is get too locked in to one particular way of doing things or, or too rigid um, because, you know, every group's different. So, you know, the way that we're going to do things this coming year is going to be different than the way that we did things this year, because it has to be, because it's a different group of guys with a different set of experiences and a different um, style in some ways. Um, and so I think that's important. And I think, I think it needs to be, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like you have to play to your skills, uh, skill set. Right. So, you know, if you've got uh, if you've got really great quarterback and, and really great receivers and historically you've been a run team and your running back's not that great, then maybe you shouldn't be a running team this mm -hmm. year. Maybe you should be a passing team. And, you know, I think that's kind of where, you know, coaching has gone to is is moving more towards the needs of the athletes rather than the ego of the coach. Yeah. You know, of, Oh, I'm the big boss man. And, you know, yell and scream and all that. I, I don't, I don't think I yelled at all this year. You know, <laughs> matter of fact, I, I had a referee. Uh, there's a, a one referee in particular who came uh, to uh, our corner at the, the Louisiana classic, the tournament before the state tournament. And he said, he said, y'all are the most quiet corner in this entire gym. <laughs> and, and I said, well, we take pride in that. I said, we take pride in that. And at the state tournament, he came and saw me again and he's laughing. And he said, he said, seriously, he said, y'all are the most quiet corner in this tournament. And I said, I said, here's the thing, dude. Most of what the corner coaching is, is that's about the coach. That's not about the athlete. Those guys can barely hear what I'm saying. So yeah. me sitting there and screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and acting like a fool, that's just showing everybody else how good of a coach I am, you know, and air quotes, that's not actually accomplishing much of anything. You know, when the athlete turns and looks me in the eyes and I mouth to him what he needs to do and he nods his head, that's important. Yeah. When the athlete turns and he has a look of concern in his face and I just give him a, a smile and a head nod and then he feels better. That's important. Um, but the real coaching is done in the room. You know, when you get into the, the you know, a wrestling match in particular, uh, there's nothing I can do in the middle of that six minutes that's going to drastically change the outcome of a match. Right. Even if I wanted to. So I think, uh, you know, yelling and screaming, that's that's. I think that's kind of going out the window. Yeah. You know? well, um, especially in a sport like wrestling, because at the end of the day, that's an emotional sport. I mean, your objective is to move a guy where it's solely on you. There's it's you versus someone else. And you have to move this person from point A to point B and basically impose your own will on him. Um, and if you're getting beat up, I feel like, and this is completely conjecture because, well, I was never a high school wrestler. Um, but I mean, if, if you got someone laying on top of you and you're not able to move, that's, that's a pretty, pretty demeaning place to be in and then i guess having someone on top of me yelling that i could tell you right now i wouldn't respond well to that i'd just be uh, like and there's there's and what are you gonna do you know so if a guy's you know laying on top of a guy and and you know my guy's on bottom and he can't get up me screaming repeatedly at the top of my lungs for him to get up isn't gonna <laughs> make him get up no you know? 
that that's not going to help him. You know, maybe if I can get his attention, if he can hear me and I give him a very specific, you know, technical thing that he can do, but even then that's going to be hard to do. So, you know, uh, I've had a couple people refer to me as uh, Master Yoda in the corner. And um, I'm sure you love every second well, of that. Absolutely. That's <laughs> 100%, you know, uh, one of my all-time idols. And uh, But in seriousness, you know, I just – I think being in the corner for me is more just about the comfort for the athlete and and him knowing that I'm there supporting them. And, you know, other than that, there's really not much that, you know, that goes into it. I can think of maybe a couple times where, you know, something that I said in the corner mid-match drastically changed an outcome. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't really, that's kind of like, it's like a movie thing. That, yeah. Like that doesn't really happen so much. It's just, uh, most of what I say is just, you know, you could mic me up and it be the most boring thing you've ever heard. Like, <laughs> so it wouldn't be like NFL films. It would be like, uh, move your feet, <laughs> move your feet, breathe, deep breath. Good. Okay. Good job. You know, you just, you just sounded like Billy Mays no, I putting, mean, that, uh, putting over another fantastic product. That's, I mean, that's, it's, uh, it would be extremely boring. You can ask the coaches that sit with me. That's funny. It, it's well, uh, um, most fun thing to listen to. <laughs> Well, one thing I do want to bring up before we get into the last part of this podcast, which is something a little bit different I'm doing than the last time you were on, but um, uh, Buddy was on a few episodes ago, and just going back to your love for Star Wars for a second, um, one of the funniest things, we were talking about MySpace, and of course, that was the big thing for us. Well, we we joked about this, and without name dropping you, of course, uh, but now... The people can now know there, about. Now, now there. So, so we didn't name drop you, but now we're gonna name drop. Oh, now we are. But, but uh, one of the funniest things, and it was we were talking about the top friends on MySpace and the chaos that would create of today. And that was an important thing. That was that was like that was like it was a very calculated thing. But, and that we were praising you for this because you did the smart thing. We knew who was gonna be your number one forever. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter like how good of a relationship you had with anyone. This was always the number one. And that was R2D2. And it saved you a lot of trouble. <laughs> but hey look. Hey, look, man. I mean, you, you had to be careful with those things because you could you could you could lose a friendship over that one hundred percent. But so all right, the last thing we're gonna do before we wrap up here, and this is something I just started doing. Um probably my favorite part of the podcast it's uh where we fire from the hip we ask each other three can be completely random questions does not have to be an isolated topic um we can do this either where you and i bounce back and forth and we go one for one on the questions or i'll ask you three straight right now give you time to think of your three and then you can ask me three so how do you want to do this whatever you want to do all right, we'll we'll uh we'll go bounce back and forth here. So I'll start with the first question. Um, so if you could, I, I guess I'll I'll keep it with the theme of Star Wars here. So, um, when was the first time you heard someone refer to you as Yoda, or in comparison with Yoda as a coach, and 
on a scale of one to 10, how much did you want to just give that person a hug from fanboying out because of it? I, I, I would think that it would be, it, it would have been when I was at St. Paul's, it wouldn't have been at Rummel. Um, and it would have been fairly early on in, in that, that, uh, in that process, maybe the, within the first couple of years of being there. Um, and yes, it was an epic moment. I felt like I had achieved, you know, there are no coaching awards that could ever compare to a Yoda comparison, right? So, I mean, you can give me whatever award you want. I don't care. Uh, being compared to Master Yoda, that's just like, that's like the best thing. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and fire away your first question here. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this one at you. I don't know how much you've been paying attention or not, but you know, since you're the sports guy, what in the heck is wrong with the Pelicans? Because they are the most inconsistent team that I've ever seen. Uh, I, I was I've been watching them a good bit, but it's starting to get hard to watch because holy cow! Like some one minute they look like world beaters, and the next minute they're getting destroyed by the worst teams in the league. Well, I wish I had a good answer for you because here's the deal. I don't watch a single second of basketball until it gets closer to the playoffs. And by that time, and the reason I do that, and just to kind of give the explanation here, is year after year, you kind of have an idea of which teams are going to make the make the finals. So I feel like most of the regular season is all just a bunch of hoopla because you have teams like the Pelicans who fight tooth and nail to try to get into the playoffs, but all the teams, you know, are going to make the playoffs pretty much coast. So as far as what's happening with the Pelicans, I wish I had an answer, but I don't because how many coaches can you go through? How many rosters do you have to overhaul? How long does it take for you to stop playing down to your competition? Because exactly what you're saying, you play bad against the, the teams you should not play bad against, and then you play up to the level of the good teams. I like how the Saints were for a while, too, though. Saints were kind of like that for a while. They, they haven't been like that recently, but mm -hmm. for a while, you know, if we were playing the Patriots, I felt fine. If we're playing like the the <clears> – well, now the Browns are pretty decent, but if we were playing the Browns, it's right. like that game we're going to lose. Like – Made no sense, but no, I understand. I think, I mean, personally, I think uh, my biggest problem with the NBA and the MLB is there's too many games. Mm -hmm. You can't keep track of that stuff. Yeah. Even when you, you can be the most diehard fan ever and, and trying to keep track of wins and losses and all that's tough, man. So yeah, yeah I really understand not tuning in until the end. Well, it, it doesn't get good until the postseason. Now, postseason, there are very few games that I don't um, – or there are very few games that I miss. You know, when it comes to the postseason NBA, I am locked in from start to finish typically. Um, but, yeah, as far as MLB, I'm out on that. I Fun fact, I actually uh, found this out the other day. If you Google baseball sucks, Hotard Huddle is the number two column <laughs> on that Google search, and I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> um all right so question two for you um so one of the things we talked uh frequently about i'll i'll go back to movies here um and um i, I know you're a big fan of of the godfather series so if you if you if there were ever a time where they remade it which if they do Please don't to anyone listening that may ever hear this. 
please don't even consider it. But well, well, the current the current trend is to remake it with an all female cast, and please don't do that. Like, because that's been like the recent thing is like they remake these movies with an all female cast, and there's just no originality to them. No. So, all right, if they remade it though, who would be um who would be your choice for uh, Michael Corleone? Hmm. Maybe if we're talking about younger guys, maybe Adam Driver. Ooh, I like it. I, I could like see, see I could see him being, you know, the kind of the the, the nerdy goody two shoes gone bad kind of dude. Um I was I was really uh impressed with his performance uh, in the Star Wars movies. Yeah. No matter, I think, regardless of what you think of those movies, I think his performance was pretty uh, spot on. So I think he could do a pretty good job. I think Driver is one of the best young actors around, and I think there's a lot of people who are very much movie buffs and um, who would agree with that because I've seen him pumped up on more than one occasion. Um, but yeah, I I wouldn't mind seeing that if. But I mean, essentially, Adam Driver. You put him in any role, I, I feel like I'd I'd be open to watching it, no matter what it is. But Michael Corleone's definitely that's an interesting choice for that. I like it. Um, so let let's hear your uh, round two here. All right, so we'll stick with uh, we'll stick with movies, uh, sort of. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, let's say. So, I guess the, you know kind of the Marvel movies have kind of been the big thing lately, the MCU. And then you have the, the, the DC universe with, uh, you know, they're getting ready to release the Snyder cut of justice league. I don't know if you've been keeping tabs on that, but I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. Um, if you had to pick one, you know, DC Marvel, whatever comic book movie adaptation, like that's your number one. What would it be? The number one, okay. For you, for you. Not like, like not even like which one do you think is the, like the best movie, but just like if you had to pick one, like that's your go-to. Like I, I'm going to watch one. This is the one I'm going to pop in and watch. I mean, I feel like you'll know my obvious answer because of how much we were so excited for it. But The Dark Knight, I mean, no question about it, um, which ironically enough, it made it to the Elite Eight in the March Madness bracket I created. All right, um, so let's let's say let's say because that one, I mean, everybody kind of like that's like an undisputed classic. If it wasn't The Dark Knight, if you had to pick something else, what would it be? Oh man, so Marvel or DC? Um, so superhero movies in general, like you could do super. Okay, so superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, I think they're all kind of pretty much DC or Marvel for the yeah. most part. Honestly, one of the ones that I really love that I don't think it's talked about enough is X-Men First Class. Um, That's a solid flick. So I remember it came on stars a lot when I was in high school, and anytime it was on, I was watching it. Um, Kevin Bacon, I think, is one of the most underrated actors. And then you had uh, Michael Fassbender. Um, yeah, it was kind of like, like, Ma- like the Magneto origin story movie. Which- exactly, exactly. And it also just kind of created and painted the picture of Magneto versus Professor X um, and just sort of told that whole dynamic of how they sort of split. Um, 
but I I really enjoy that movie from start to finish. I think it had a great cast. I think it was well produced. I thought it had a great story. Um, good runtime, like everything about it, I thoroughly enjoyed. So if I had to pick one outside of um, the Dark Knight, I think that would be my go-to, just because I've seen that one probably more than any other superhero movie minus the Dark Knight. That's good. That's a good one. Um, so question three uh, for you. So um let's go i okay i'll i'll go ahead and uh open up the the topic of hobbies here so i know you do uh painting kind of in your spare time and i i see you've been posting a couple as of late but what's what's the favorite of your own personal artwork that you've done like what's what's one you still look at to this day and are just like man i really love this (laughs) yeah um gosh uh, I guess if I had to pick one, it would probably be the one that's up behind me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one, I, I just, I was really pleased with the way it turned out. I can, I can, I can share it with the audience. That's, uh, that's okay. actually my, my version of a painting that somebody else had done. I can't claim full responsibility for it. There are other ones that I can, but, um, this is kind of the first one that I had done in a long time, like that I've made like a serious effort to go into uh, and really tested the boundaries of what I could and couldn't do. Um, because when I went into it, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to make it like I wanted to make it. And so uh, I think I did this one now like five years ago and, and, and I'm still really pleased with it. Sometimes I look at it I'm like, damn, that, that really did turn out. <laughs> Well, sometimes you have this real this idea of what you want it to be, and no matter how hard you try, you just can't get it. You know, I've got a closet full of stuff that that's half done that I get pissed and aggravated, and then I just toss it in the closet and I get frustrated with it. And then you know, every now and then I'll pull one out that I've started and I can actually make it right. Um, but then sometimes they just get abandoned and I paint over them because um, I get aggravated with them. But I had to it's pick the one same up. way with writing for me. Um, yeah, it's very. I think it's very much the same thing. I think it's very it, much the same process. If I if I had a if I had a nickel for every time I create or put a title for a, a column I want to write, and then I start writing it, and I'm just like, I don't know where this is going. I don't like it, and I toss it. I mean, I I'd be making uh, a lot more money than I am off Hotard Huddle. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's just you know, I think that's that's the nature of uh, art, you know, mm-hmm. and creativity sometimes is. Uh, you know, sometimes you have like this drive to, to create and, and and you feel like you have an idea of what you want, but you just can't make it work. Right. And then other times, like, I just feel the flow. Like, I'm like, oh man, like I'm, I just, I got to get up and go. Yeah. And as soon as I do it, like everything's coming together and sometimes it comes together really quickly too. And I'm like, holy crap, I finished that that quick. Wow. That was great. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, but I think just same thing like with writing, um, you know, there's something not just real cool. And I think it's, it's kind of why I like coaching too, right? Where you start with nothing and then at the end, there's a finished product. Mm-hmm. You know, so with, you know, when most of the guys that we get come to us, they don't know anything. And by the time they leave, you know, you see what they've become. And, and so there's a finished product, right? And that's, I think what makes it cool is, uh, 
is being able to see what you did, what you accomplished, you know, some kind of tangible thing that you can look at and say, uh, yeah, I did that. So that's 100%. So, uh, question three from you, let's hear it. All right. Well, you know, I mean, just obviously the big news story of the day, uh, Drew Brees, uh, retired officially. Um, that's kind of a boring thing to talk about. So we're not going to talk about that. What I want to talk about is who is the starting quarterback for the new Orleans saints Uh. next season. Your opinion, who's the starting quarterback? Well, the news broke right after Breeze retired that the Saints did a voidable four-year, $140 million contract with Taysom Hill. And because of how large that contract is, voidable or not, I feel like because of the cap situation, that is their answer. I think it's going to end up being Taysom Hill, although I hope I'm 100% wrong on that. You know, I, I texted I texted a couple of buddies earlier. I was like, if Taysom Hill is, is the Saints starter at the beginning of next season, I'm out. I'm done. Um, I think I just with the contract thing, from what I understand, basically it amounts to a one-year $12 million deal and the rest all can be voided. Yeah, so um, it, it's I don't know how it was constructed because that was one of the big talking points when the news broke was the words the word voidable. So it's obviously a team friendly deal, but I don't know what the cap situation looks like with Jameis Winston. I don't know what he's looking to get. I in a perfect world, I want to see Jameis Winston as as the Saints starting quarterback next season. I want to see what he can do in Peyton's system. So for um, you, so for you, the perfect situation would be Jameis Winston. Given the options out there, yes. Um the realistic options. Right. Because we're not um, getting Russell Wilson. Right, right. I mean, I, I think that's pretty much dead in the water at this point, unless the Saints, which I would say the Saints could go full Ricky Williams, but uh, they don't have the draft capital to do that and get Trevor Lawrence. Not that anyone would do that, but. Um, uh, I, well, you're throwing away too much, you know, and obviously a starting quarterback's important, but if you don't have the pieces around them, then what good is it? Yeah. Well, that was the thing with Wilson, honestly, and I'll kind of touch on that because I think that. I think someone asked me, I think on my last podcast that got asked to me was about Russell Wilson, but at the end of the day, you got to have a quality starting quarterback. If you have someone in the upper echelon of starting quarterbacks, you're never going to be a bottom feeder. And that's important. Like with, if the saints were to get Russell Wilson, regardless of what you give up, you're never going to have a losing season. And that's important. But but yeah, if you have someone like Taysom, Jameis, obviously all of those surrounding pieces become a hell of a lot more important. Um, well, and, and I know I know Jameis kind of became a meme with the 30-30 deal. Yeah. But if you look at his stats before that, you know, he was pretty regularly having 20, you know, 20 touchdown, 10, 15 interception years. Yeah, like he was a 28, 26, 28, and 15 kind of kind of quarterback. I mean, the 30 interceptions was obviously the aberration. And this is something I've talked about um, frequently, but it was also year one in Bruce Arians' system, where if you look at some of the quarterbacks and what they did in year one with Bruce Arians, 
Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions. That was his rookie season. Carson Palmer threw 18 interceptions, and I think he had like eight or nine fumbles. Um, well, and honestly, how much did Tom Brady actually pay attention to Bruce Arians' system this year? And how much did Tom Brady just do whatever the heck he wanted? I think in the beginning of the season, it was a lot to do with Arians. And then as the season wore on, the two of them sort of built that trust and everything. But at the end of the day, too, Tom Brady was still throwing the ball downfield, which is what Arians' system does. Um, but, it, it, dude, it was an interesting year, that's for sure. But as far as the Saints quarterback moving forward, um, I, you know, I'm happy Breeze finally hung it up because watching him just diminish more and more, I was just getting frustrated with that. But if Taysom's the one driving the car next year, just crash it into the side of the mountain and be done with it because I can't watch. Well, you know, I just I just don't buy that he's the long-term solution. He might be the stopgap. You know, he might be the, you know, uh, okay, we'll start him this year and then draft somebody next year kind of thing. Um, you know, I love him as a player. I just – I don't buy him as a long-term starting quarterback. Right. Like, if if Jameis – I mean, I'm sorry. If Taysom Hill's goal is to uh, – if his position is to be football, then cool. But if it's the quarterback, your, your starting quarterback, like, no. He uh, – you know, there's a couple of issues with that. Um, one, I think because of his play style, because of how reckless he is, he's going to get hurt. You know, he played five years, I think, at BYU, and I think he only had one fully healthy season, and he was a starter, I believe, for four years. Um, so he's got an injury history. He's also not a spring chicken anymore. I mean, he's, he's 31, 32. Um, which of course quarterbacks are now playing into their forties, but nonetheless, still an still an older quarterback with a lot of wear and tear. So yeah, I mean, there there's a couple of very fundamental problems with the idea of Taysom Hill being the starter. But yeah, I'll go with Taysom for now, although I don't like it. <laughs> It'll be interesting, that's for sure. Yep. As it once once Drew Brees officially retired, I think that was the thing that everyone was kind of curious. What's life like after him? Well, we're about to find out. But um, other than that, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast here. Um, and, uh, of course, best of luck to you and St. Paul's moving forward. Um, and once again, man, huge congrats in order for that state championship. I couldn't be more happy for you, dude. Thanks, buddy. It was fun to get to talk to you again. And hopefully we can have a talk again next year around the same time with the same results. So that would be hey, nice. dude. If you get the repeat, I mean, I know I know you saw a couple of comments on the posts and things like that. I was one of them just putting a little goat emoji on there. Dude, you know, I, I, I clearly I'm not alone in hoping that title eventually goes to you. And, of course, you're never going to be the one that uh, screams about getting that the title of goat. But it seems like you got a lot of other people doing that for you. And that's that's a pretty cool place to be. So um, it seems like a lot of people are happy for you. So that's awesome. Yeah, man, it was it was uh, really overwhelming to see the you know the support and, and the positivity and and that's just you know that's special. Hell yeah, man! But uh, for uh, Matt Panero, I'm Michael Hotard, and uh, as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.